When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Jay Scott, and you're listening to The Hook, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope everyone's having an awesome day, a good day. Hope everyone's jamming out to some tunes. Welcome to a new episode of the New Music Spotlight Show, which we showcase new bands, new music, and also bands that have been around for a while, like the band today that we're going to talk about, a band that's been around for a while, but... Not a lot of people know outside of the area that they play in, which is New York City. And the band is The Brought Low, and the guest is Ben Smith. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm doing great, man. It's, it's pouring, pouring buckets outside, but I'm inside with a stiff drink and an and a oven full of sweet potatoes. Well, there you go. There you go. No baseball game tonight, right? Are you a Yankee fan? Uh, I'm a Mets fan, but I'm a New York fan, so I'm pulling for the Yankees because a lot of my friends are Yankees. Fans, you know, I I have my own local preferences, but then you know, if they're not in it, then I'm for whoever's New York. There you go. There you go. Well, hey, our first question to first-time guests is always the same, and that is the essence of the show, which is like every great rock song has a hook that sucks you in. Every rock fan yeah. has a moment that they can look back on, whether it's a song a band, an album, or a performance that hooked them on rock and roll? What hooked you? I mean, I think when I was two years old, and I've said this, uh, I did an interview with the Obelisk, which is a great um, online music website. Um, When I was two years old, my family did like a house exchange with some woman in London. And we went over there, and she had a small little, like, turntable. Maybe it was her son's. And it was a, there, there was a stack of 45s. And in that stack was the Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. And I would just make my, like, older brothers play it over and over. So, I mean, that, just that, like, riff is like, nah, 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 nah. that was like, that was it. I was sold at two years old. So it was the was Stones. Down. Yeah, yeah. Where did it go from there? Um, you know, how did how did your music taste evolve? Well, you know, I mean, from there again, I had two older brothers. I was like a surprise baby. So I, my older brothers are ten and twelve years older than me. I also have a older sister who's six years older than me. So when I was a little kid, my brothers were teenagers. It was the early seventies. 
and they were in, you know, like garage bands in Queens. Um, you know, in, in, in New York City, we have basements, probably very similar to the Midwest. And, um, you know, in, in my basement, I would go down there when I was two, three, four, there'd be like long-haired dudes playing with Pauls and Marshall Stacks. And, I mean, this, I think the second song I knew as a kid was um, was Smoke on the Water because they would play it. And, uh, you know, from there, um, just being a kid, then the Beatles was probably the next thing I really became aware of. Again, this is like pre-10 years old. And then by the time I was like 10 and in my early teens, I started getting into all the classic rock stuff. Um, Stones, Zeppelin, The Who, ACDC, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple. And uh, from there, you know, I kind of got into like, when I started playing guitar, I was like about 15 uh, started getting really serious about it. And, uh, at the same time I was getting into that, I started getting really into like punk rock and I'm also from New York. So there was like the New York hardcore scene. I, you know, I was also into hip hop. So there was just music everywhere. So I, I was, I was kind of, I was kind of down for it all. <laughs> Who was it that made you want to pick up a guitar and play music? That would be Pete Townsend. That would be when I was nine years old, my oldest brother, Dave, took me to see The Kids Are All Right in the theater. And uh, I don't know something about seeing that. And I wasn't even really like that up on the who uh, at the time. But like I I left the theater, uh, you know, I left the theater, the who were my favorite band, and I wanted to play guitar. And I wanted to play guitar like... Townsend, which is, you know, very rhythm guitar and also guitar at the same time. And, and also, you know, I mean, the other thing from The Who is like songwriting and kind of writing about, your, you know, like the lyrics should mean something. The Who also had that punk element too, especially as they you oh, know, yeah. moved down with like, their career. Yeah, I mean, I think both The Stones and The Who had real elements that were kind of like punk rock before punk rock. Um, and then once I got into punk rock, then it's like my favorite bands are like the Stooges and Black Flag. And Minus I mean, I think that, that, that strain that the Who have is like, you know, I, I love the Stones. And I love Led Zeppelin. And I love ACDC. But it's like, their lyrics are all just about like getting laid, right? Like basically. And the Who were really about like, the Who's lyrics were about like, you know, I was about to say, who was you? Uh, but no, no, no song pun intended. It's like, it was, those lyrics were about, you know, speaking from, you know, the point of yourself and who you were and, and what the world was, trying to understand the world and all that, which is a big thing that then becomes, you know, in, in punk rock, it's about, you know, not just like singing stupid love songs. Right, right. You know, very, very introspective lyrics, you know, like yeah. uh, self-aware, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my friend Max is a, a great guitarist who plays with all sorts of, like, uh, Max Bernstein. He plays with all sorts of people like uh, Demi Lovato, Taylor Swift. But he wants to say, it's like, they're, they're me bands, they're you bands. Like, you're either singing about me, 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 like, I, I was doing this, I thought you should, or, like, you bands, like, you told me you were, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. 
Now, with that, you know, the Who inspired you to want to write music. Pete Townsend inspired you to play the guitar. Was there another artist that wanted you to be in a band and start a band? Well, you know, again, I grew up on all that classic rock shit. So it's like I wanted to be Jimmy Page and I wanted to write songs like the Stones and the Beatles and the Who. Um, and the thing that kind of, I, you know, once again made the bridge from like rock and roll dreams to actually like playing in bands was, was punk rock and really like the hardcore scene too because all of a sudden it was like not, I mean, I think if you're a teenager, you, you, you have to be pretty self-confident if like you step out the gate saying like oh I can I can I can be in a band and I can do this and I can do that I mean that's pretty it's pretty demanding on your on your ego at such a young age especially most teenagers are so cripplingly insecure um and then you know once I sort of started getting into like punk rock and hardcore it was like kids my age in some cases you know like from the same part of <laughs> the city from me and they were putting out records on and going on tours. So that was very like, it was very much like if they can do it, I can do it. Like if, you know, again, it's like, I would look at pictures of Jimmy Page, Keith Richards, two of my heroes, but I like, don't look like those guys. I'm not like a skinny, you know, like emaciated brunette rock star guy. I'm like this big fucking white dude from Queens. And, you know, like hardcore and punk rock was a, sort of kind of opened the door where it's like, oh yeah, like you don't have to look like a handsome rock star to play music. Like you can just get on the road, you can put out your own album, you can put out one forty five, you can book your own tour. So that was kind of like the next step for for me at least. You know, I've always said, you know, looks and looking pretty will only take you so far. If you got the good songs and that resonate with people, that'll take you much farther, much longer than, you know, someone with the, you know, the pretty hair and the, and the, 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 the pretty outfits. And, and I, I've always looked at stuff like that as being short term, right? Like they'll always yeah. catch, they'll always catch someone's attention for a little bit. And yeah. the cream always rises to the top. So if you do have the good songs and you got the good hooks and you got the good melodies, that's going to stand the test of time far longer than someone that just grabs your attention for 15 minutes. Sure, sure. And, 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 if, and if you have them both, then you're yeah. even further along. Even better, right? like, you know, even, even like, you know, those first Metallica records, like Kill em All and Ride the Lightning, if you look at the pictures of Metallica on the back of those records, like how many teenagers of, I'm not sure your age, but I like, you know, again, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. Like, how many teenagers looked at the back of those two records and said, that's me? Because, like, they look like everyone else. And it's like, again, I, I remember seeing pictures of Minor Threat, Black Flag, and, like, again, they weren't these, like, handsome, you know, like, manicured rock stars with, you know, $200 haircuts. They were just like, you, again, they look like me and my friends, you know, and, and same with the Metallica guys were like the more metalhead version of my friends. Like, and, and that, that was what 
again, made me, instead of just worshiping rock stars and rock music and thinking it was something I wanted to do, but I could never attain, like, that was the thing I was like, no, you can do it too, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, the interesting thing that's similar to me, I'm 44, so I was born in the mid-70s. My older brother was the catalyst for me for music, too. You know, he was the one that was bringing in the Van Halen records and the Journey records. And, you know, I I wanted to listen to what he was listening to because all his friends would go in his room. They'd listen to tunes and I would kind of sit in the corner and stay out of the way and not talk back and just listen with him. So I got a very early education on rock and roll from that, you know, from just being in the room and listening. And then when he would get a new album when he went to work, I'd sneak in his room and I'd then go in my room and I'd play it and listen to it and then put it back by the time he got home so he wouldn't get mad at me. And that's how I grew my, my, my musical taste and knowledge was from, his, from my older brother and his friends listening to what they listened to. Um, yeah, no, no, very similar. I'm a couple years older than you, but it's like yeah. the same thing. I was like, I had, these, I had these vast record collections at my disposal that I could you know, peruse, you know, as long as like my brothers were at work. (laughs) Again, I was, I was in high school and junior high school. My brothers were out of college and like getting their first job. So it's like, but yeah, I had to get in, had to get in, go to the records and then get out before they got home. And then if you didn't return it by the time they got home, you'd get the dreaded beat down. That's right. That's right. (laughs) So the Bratlow, New York City, tell us a little bit about the history of the band, how you guys formed, where you guys came from. Well, you know, I mean, um, you and I mentioned before the interview, my first band, Sweet Diesel, uh, Nick and I were in that band, and that was a very different thing musically. It was very of a, of a time in the mid-'90s when it was, you know, sort of the uh, – I guess they call it the punk revival. We were part of that. And we also kind of, we, we kind of played with a lot of the, uh, the it, Midwestern indie rock bands on like Amphetamine Reptile and Touch and Go Records. And it was really like loud and noisy and kind of discordant. And as I got older and like, you know, sort of like reaching my mid late twenties, I, I, I started like, you know, I mean, you just change. Your musical tastes change. And I wanted to do something that was more reflective of, one, the music I listened to, which at that point was like I was returning to all my classic rock records and also blues and country. And, you know, I was really into like a lot of system soul at that point. And, um, you know, I just wanted to, I, I wanted to sing. I didn't want to scream anymore. And um, I wanted to write lyrics that were meant something to me. I mean, again, I love the anger of punk rock, but and and there's certainly still reasons that even as a middle-aged guy, I get angry about. But that wasn't what I wanted to express anymore. So I started writing these songs, and I lived with my drummer. Um, and we sort of came off the, the last diesel tour in 98 and I started writing these new songs and, uh, you know, in between that and the brought low happening, 
Um, I played the band called the Kill Van Call um, with our bassist, uh, the bassist in the front row for the last you know, 20 years, Bob, was the bassist of Kill Van Call. And again, it was just you know, sort of very hard, angular, kind of post-hardcore stuff. So I started writing these songs and it just sort of took on a life of its own and we started playing out. Um, our first bassist was this guy, Dean Rispler, um, who's played in a lot of bands in New York and has produced a lot of records and still one of my dear friends and uh, one of the most talented guys I know. And, um, again, at, at that moment, we sort of went the kind of stoner rock thing was going on. First Queens of Stone Age record came out. Fu Manchu were kind of like, you know, doing stuff. Monster Magnet had like the big hit record. And uh, we sort of fit into that scene. Um, and we, we signed with TP Records and put out our first record in 2001. And we did a couple tours. It was me, Nick, our drummer, Nick Keller, and Dean on bass and uh, after a couple tours Dean quit the band um, totally on amicable terms but he just wanted to do different stuff and um, we got Bob well actually we had another little pickup where uh, this guy Steve Tanner who's actually was in uh, the band Harvey Milk he played bass with us for about a year and we started working up material for a second record and uh, he, he, I, <laughs> I fired him in the fall of, I guess it was 2003, because um, I wanted to start playing out of town again, and he didn't really want to travel. Uh, and then I got Bob, Bill Van Cole, and he joined up. And we had a second guitarist for a while, a guy named Kevin Eleven, again, a great guy, very talented guitarist put out the second record right on time on Small Stone Records in, God, I guess that's 2006, 2005 or 2006, I can't even remember. And then Kevin moved to Richmond, Virginia. Um, anytime we're down there and play down there, we stay with him. And then in 2010, we did the third record, uh, our second for Small Stone called Third Record. And, you know, naming records is always such a pain in the ass. I was like, let's just call it Third Record. Um, and then in 2011, we did a digital EP and, uh, for our friends, uh, a label called Co-Extinction, which is run by the producer Andy Schneider, and our friends uh, Jim and Dave. Dave Kern is the bassist of Unsane and has done sound for a lot of guys. You know, just playing up and down, done a few national tours, and uh, in 2015, we kind of went on hiatus for about three years and then started playing shows again last year. How did you guys get hooked up with Small Stone Records? Small Stone was doing um, a tribute record. They were doing the Sucking on the 70s comps, and we had a lot of mutual friends. And we sort of got in touch, and we got along. And it was funny, like, the the first, I think it's Sucking in the 70s, is the comp, was the first one. 
and it was right after Dean quit the band and it was just me and Nick played on it. I played bass and we covered actually the stones we covered till the next goodbye. And after that, then once we kind of, you know, fast forward another couple of years, we had a, a stable lineup again and we had a bunch of songs and Scott was like, Hey man, would you be interested in doing a brought low record? And he was totally down and you know, it sort of sort of went from there. I mean Scott's uh Scott's my buddy. We're still in touch and uh, you know, I I like him a lot and you meet a lot of guys, especially in indie rock, get these insane ideas that they're like they think they're like very gorgy from Motown or you know, they think they're like some crazy record mogul. And it's, you know, Scott is like totally down to earth. Uh, he's very, you know, he, he, he's, he's a buddy. So, uh, yeah, we still work with him. You know, it's all been good. As far as, you know, being around as long as you guys have, um, you mentioned a couple national tours. You mentioned a few lineup changes. What has been the constant in your belief for for the brought low? You know, I mean, you sounded like you guys have had a, a, a pretty extensive history with you know guys coming in and out and playing around and playing the music and being in different bands. What is it about this band that has been that constant for you? Constant. Well, I'd say it's a couple things. I mean, one, it's. You know, I write songs that I want to hear, and that's sort of been the sort of, you know, I mean, I think all three albums are within a a pretty, um, you know, easily understandably relatable relatable wheelhouse. Uh, We didn't like all of a sudden one record sound totally different. Um, But again, it's like, you know, the first record, I was really into the Queens of Stone Age, and my old classic rock records and that's what you hear on that record. And then by like the second record, it was like, I was listening to a lot of stones and bases records again. And we kind of like, that was sort of the influence and sort of ACDC and MC five. That's like more prevalent. And, uh, then by the third record, I'd sort of kind of gotten back to, um, a lot of, Revisiting a lot of the punk stuff I liked, and that's sort of there, but then also more, uh, also some kind of more uh, faithful country songs. And, you know, again, it's like, one thing is like, it's always the music that I want to hear, that we all want to hear, I mean, like the other guys contribute to. So one is like, you know, the music is the reward. I write music, and we write music that we want to hear. The other thing is that it's like from the jump, it's been me and Nick. Um, and, you know, Bob joined in 2003. And we're all still buddies. We all still have a good time hanging out. I I was saying this to someone recently. Someone was asking, oh, you guys didn't play for a few years. I was like, yeah, like in 2015, I stopped booking shows because they were kind of reaching diminishing returns and we weren't having a good time playing shows anymore. So I just stopped booking them. And thus, 
and didn't show us, <laughs> you know, until we got an offer in 2018 to play a show. Um, or, or, you know, my friend's bar was closing and he wanted us to play it. But even though it's like in 2015, I can tell you, like, I still the following week was hanging out with Bob, our bassist, in a bar somewhere. You know, a month after that, I was chanting with a drummer. Like, we ne- like there was never some sort of, you know, there was never some, like, blow-up. I mean, there, there's a degree to which it's it's been, like, a core friendship with these guys and still enjoy each other's company. We still get together and make each other laugh and, you know, enjoy playing together. So I think that's kind of the constant. You know, play music you want and do it with people you want to hang out with. Now, you mentioned Stoner Rack, and I, I spoke to Carl about this too because Lachinga gets classified into the Stoner Rock label. I don't know. I hear rock and roll. I have no idea what stoner rock <laughs> means or entails or what, you know, because I, when I look on, you know, small stone records and their, and their artists that are on there, it's a great, you know, label out of Michigan. And I know some of their bands on there are labeled as stoner rock. And I think in certain aspects of the internet, you guys have been put in that category too on a couple, you know, and a couple things. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, it's it's funny. It's like it's probably the worst genre name, like next to like grindcore or you know, it's just it sounds so terrible, like stoner rock. Um, in 1999, when we started in 2000, 2001, uh, there was a certain buzz about it. Uh, again, there was. And it was bands like Queens of the Stone Age, Fu Manchu, um, and, and that was kind of like what was going on. And um, Alabama Thunder Pussy was another big band of the era, Nebula, and those bands were all either a little heavier or a little trippier than we were, but because we all kind of had this root in... 70s hard rock we kind of all made sense playing together what happened was that by like the mid 2000s what became stoner rock sort of started becoming like doom and the bands all started getting heavier and playing slower and tuning down and the brought low started playing faster (laughs) and started like you know the joke was always like everyone else is tuning to like d and drop c and we were playing on like open g which is the like keith richards tuning so it's like you know we tuned up (laughs) and everyone else tuned down and we sped up and everyone else put it down so i mean i don't think in 2019 the brought low really makes sense as a stoner rock band it was just sort of um a thing which which in the early 2000s we fit in the scene which was sort of a blanket term for all these new heavy rock bands that were playing riffy music with a lot of like influences from the early 70s but yeah we're a rock and roll band like that's I don't think we're like I don't think we're like stoner rock we're certainly not doom when people ask, it's like, yeah, we're rock and roll. Right, like, yeah. ACDC. 
Right. Like that's, MC5. Yes. You know, that's like, yeah. That's what I said to, to Carl from Lachinga. I was like, I don't I don't know what, what I'm missing here, but you guys sound like rock and roll. When I listen to the Brat Low, I hear the Stones. Right. I hear all the, you know, yeah. the bands you mentioned, MC5, ACDC. I hear, I hear a lot of yeah. social distortion, you know. Right. Um, early, early Aerosmith. Yeah. This is another uh, one we get a lot, yeah. So I'm like... Have I been listening to Stoner Rock for the last thirty years? You know well, I mean? again, you know, it's, 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 it's a silly term, and it's, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, it's like what's metal, right? right? Like metal's everything from, you know, what's that band like? Cattle decapitation to Judas Priest. <laughs> you know, like that's a huge, it's a huge ocean of different genres. Rock's a somewhat similar thing at this point. Yeah, I believe that there's only a handful of labels for rock music. There's your regular rock, there's your hard rock, there's your punk rock, there's your metal, and then there's your thrash slash death metal. Yeah. You know, to me, that's pretty much it. You know, you get in all these other labels. I'm like, I don't even know what the hell I'm listening to, but I don't know, like there's this new genre that's been created out of thin air. And I think sometimes it actually hurts the genre as a whole, right? I think there's too yeah. many labels out there that hurt bands because they get pigeonholed in a certain genre and they can't get out of it. Or people that aren't aware of that genre won't listen to them because of the label. Right. Right. Or, or, and also if bands change, mm-hmm. you know, bands, bands change stylistically and, um, yeah, those pigeonholes all of a sudden if you do something different it's like whoa well, which, but I thought you were this band and it's like no we're <laughs> I mean the people that always understand it are musicians and like they're like no because a musician just wants to play music they don't they're not caught up in these like this isn't I mean even if it goes down to like you know I mean I think one of the, one of the big things with brought low is like we have a lot of like loud songs, some happy songs, just like fast kind of raging songs. And we also have like a ballad on every record. You know, there's like at least one slow kind of ballad song on every brought low record. Because that's, you know, part of what I like. You know, I love like country music. I love soul. I love blues. And again, you, you're, you, you know, you make, you make music that I think most great bands are not not to say like, well, we're a great band and this is why we do this, but it's like most bands play music that they want to play. Uh, you know, I think the best ones. Well, I think the best bands and the ones that do it are the ones that, like you said, are evolving, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, not everyone can be an ACDC where, right. you know. Right. Or Ramones or Motorhead. Yeah. Right, it's right. like the three. Those are the three great one-song bands. Right. I mean, they're phenomenal what they do, and I enjoy them immensely, right? But I yeah. I, I want to see my favorite bands, and I want to see the guys that I like listening to. I want to see them evolve in, in songwriting and develop as players and, um, you know, see the growth from the debut album to the third album to the sixth album yeah. and so on. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned you guys are recording a new record for 2020. Well, I would, I would, we're, we're working on new material. Okay, okay. Like we, we, we're not recording yet, but we're working it up. 
Um, you know, we're trying to work up new material. I mean, you know, I have a backlog of songs. Um, and Bob's got some songs. And, you know, I mean, the one thing is like when I sit around my house and write songs with an acoustic guitar, they come out very country rock, you know, kind of sort of that. And, um, you know, writing rock and roll songs with a band is a very different practice so we're trying to find work up some new band rock songs and uh, yeah we're just in the early stages we, again you know, this time last year we played our first show in three years and uh, it was our, our, our friends bar was closing Hanks uh, which is a great kind of like dive bar rock and roll bar and we played all the time so we got back together as that was closing and we played a few more shows after the new year and then we took the summer off and now it's like we really want to have some new material to play live we really want to you know get in there hopefully record so I I have no timetable and you know things things generally move pretty slow and brought low land but hopefully there's a new record sooner rather than later what is the process? I mean, you mentioned, you know, writing on an acoustic guitar, but, you know, when you guys get together and you guys are going to introduce a new song live, you know, how does that work? Is it just, you know, one person comes in with an idea, then other people kind of add their input? Is it just already, is the song already structured and made and arranged? How does that work? Well, you know, it, it, it's sort of like, you know, I would say the creative process, like the one thing I've learned over playing music for, Jesus, I don't even know, is it, um, you know, pushing pushing 25 to 30 years, it's like, there's sort of no rule, so there have been songs that I brought into the band that were completely written from like note one to note, you know, the final note, and that sort of, I showed them the chords, and I had the lyrics all done and that was that. Then there are other songs where I brought in the basic skeleton of a song and then we sort of jammed it out and you never really know. I mean, sometimes you write a song and you think it sounds great in your head because you've been playing it alone in your basement and then you play it with like a bassist and drummer and you're like, oh, you know what? That's kind of like that's kind of weak. Like that's kind of either like I heard that before or it's not memorable. And, um, so it, 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 it's sort of like there, there's a finite way, uh, you know, there's several different ways it gets done. You know, I think where we're at now is like, we've got, a, I've got a bunch of songs that are kind of more in the acoustic country realm. Um, and then I've got a lot of riffs and I bring those into Bob and Nick and we're trying to kind of hammer them out, put their stamp on them and turn it into a broad low song. You know, there's a band that's pretty similar to what you guys do in terms of the types of influences and the style that you guys have. You know, you mentioned, you know, the country type songs and then you got the rockers too as well. 
uh, the band yeah. Super Suckers, who I know you guys have played with a lot. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. we played with them way back. Yeah, yeah, and, and they do like a country record, then they do a rock record, and I've seen those guys probably about a dozen times over the years, and they they just get up there and they play, and it's cool, and it's and it's loud, and um, you know, it's kind of very similar to kind of what you guys do. I mean, they're a three piece outfit too now. They used to be a four piece, so, right? You know, right. There's, there's a lot of similarities when you talk about your process and you talk about what you're developing. You know, I can't help but think of them um, in kind of the the same parallel, um, you know, way of doing things. Right. And, and they, you know, do the same. I mean, it's funny cause it's like Bob and I have done acoustic brawl low shows, uh, where it's just me and him with acoustic guitars and he plays acoustic guitar and we do that or we do, I mean, most of the time we're doing like the, the brawl low electric loud band with big amps. But you know, again, I mean, one of the ideas we have for the next record, assuming like we get it all together is kind of, either doing two EPs, like an electric EP and an acoustic EP, or maybe doing an album with like, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm of that seventies, eighties generation where I bought albums and I cared about the sequence of the songs and what order they appeared in. So the idea of doing maybe like uh, an electric side and an acoustic side. It's interesting. You know, you say a lot of things that, resonate with me as a rock music fan and and i you know you are a rock music fan as well and all, oh, yeah. of, our, all of our listeners are and we touched on this you know before we started the the interview you know the current state of rock and rock music um you know you guys are incredible you have incredible songs incredible albums incredible material and for a band like you guys, and I and I always hate saying this. I even cringe when I say this. It's like, well, back in the day, these guys would have been huge. And there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of bands like yourselves that would have been huge 20 years ago because of the way the industry was. You had a infrastructure in in rock music that was able to push out new music, and people would listen. And people are not listening to new music, unfortunately. I mean, the numbers speak you know, the, the, the facts, right? I mean, you know, no one knows that LA guns released a great album this past year. No one knows of like new bands that are coming out because everyone's kind of still stuck in the classic rock mode. What do you see? You know, you're in New York. What do you see? You see the same things I see or, or what's your take on it? Well, I think, you know, the industry's changed so much and, um, Tastes have changed so much. What, what I can say is, you know, unfortunately for me, <laughs> at the same time I started doing this band, I was in my late 20s and I was an adult. And I got married uh, and had a kid within a couple of years of the band forming. So it's like, you know, I spent my 20s touring in punk rock bands and did all my irresponsible stuff then. And then when I was doing this band, I mean, that's one of the reasons why it's like, there's only like one record every like four and a half years, five years. And now like it's been, you know, nine years. It's like life, life, life happens. You know, you and I were talking about this yesterday, you know, when we had to reschedule the interview, like life happens. So at the same time, 
in one sense, the Brawl Low is a very inactive band, right? Like, we don't tour a lot. We play, even even before we stopped playing, like, in 2015, it's like, we did regional touring. We go up to Boston, we go down to Virginia. Maybe every couple of years, we go out to Chicago and play Columbus because we have a big fan base out there. But because of the internet, it almost didn't matter. Like it, it, it helped keep the band alive. Like, you know, a, as opposed to when I was in Sweet Seas in the nineties, which is like really pre-internet. If we weren't touring every four months, there's no one. No one would remember us in one city to the next. If if it was like more than a about a four month gap between coming through on tour, and we had to put out a record every year you know and, and and you know because of the internet now you can sort of be a part-time touring band or oh, I mean you know again a part-time band more successful and you know the other thing with the problems are alive we synced a lot of songs we had a lot of songs on television which is a major part of what rock bands do now to kind of make money since there's no money in album sales. Um, and I mean, that's another whole way that the industry has changed. Uh, Sweet Diesel, you know, you had the record, but it's not like Sweet Diesel is like some successful band. In many ways, the Broadway is much more successful. However, Sweet Diesel um, was guaranteed, and, and I would say any independent band up until the early 2000s was pretty much guaranteed to sell around 2,000 copies. If you toured a little bit and if you were in a genre that had that kind of word-of-mouth fan base. Um, now, you know, we look at pressings of 500, 200, 300, you know. Um, it's very, as much as people talk about the resurgence of vinyl, actual sales are very low. It's just higher than no one's buying CDs because it's a totally outdated format. So, uh, you know, it's weird. It's, it's a, it's a weird time. And I think in one sense as a niche band, whether you're stoner rock, grindcore, or, you know, certain types of hip hop, you can really do a lot as an independent musician, um, because of the exposure you get from SoundCloud and, Instagram and, and, you know, social media and, and all that. Um, but there's also, you know, a lot of problems uh, in that it's like musicians aren't making money from selling records anymore, really. Um, and certainly kind of going to the thing that you and I were talking about before we started the interview, if you're playing classic rock kind of stuff, that's not an audience that is prone to finding new bands. That's an audience that is very much middle-aged people who are listening to, you know, they're going to see Bad Company, but they don't want to hear a new band that kind of is the new version. There are some exceptions, like what's that band, The Rival Sons and... Um, right. You know the band that the band that everyone loves to hate, Greta Van Fleet. You know that's like there's exceptions, but it, it, it's it's not the culture of that genre 
is not about discovering new music. Well, even classic rock stations, right? I mean, are, are, are the one thing about classic rock, and it's They're the of, worst. Right, right. <laughs> you know, they, they, they feed you the same 50 songs over yeah. and over and over again. I mean, they never play a deep cut. They never play, you know, something deep from the stones like Slave or, you know, whatever. They never, they never play a Thin Lizzy song besides the boys are back in town. Once in a while, you'll hear Jailbreak. Once in a while, right? Once in a while. <laughs> right. You know, but... but uh, twice a year. Yeah, twice a year, and, you, and, and you're lucky if you get to hear 30 seconds, you know, at, of the end of it, you know? But right. that, that, those bands are not producing new music, and, and we touched on this, like you said, before we started the, the, the conversation, that there the classic rock genre has reached its limit, right? I mean, it's not going to grow anymore. It's not going to expand. It's going to get smaller. And as the years go by, some of that stuff is going to become oldies, right? You know, we listened to when we were kids, you know, Elvis and all that stuff, Buddy Holly, the oldie station. That's the next move for, for classic rock. And the bands that are touring under that classic rock shell, like your Aerosmiths and like your, I mean, you could even call Metallica classic rock now, believe it or not. Right. You know, but, but those, yeah, but those bands are, that are touring are not going to be around forever. You know? They're all dying. They're right. all, they're, I mean, I mean, you probably got about another 10 years. I mean, let's, let's look, I mean, Aerosmith. They're in their late 60s, early 70s. The Stones, I don't know how Mick Jagger does it. That's a whole nother, you know. But, I mean, I don't see the Stones playing more than maybe another five years, if that, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. and then you've got, you know, who else? You know, Iron Maidens, they're 70. And they're in their 70s. And Judas Priest sure. in their 70s. So, it's, it's not, there's going to be a vacuum that is going to leave a lot of rock bands with, not a lot of like things to do in ten years, you know, because these big ticket rock bands are are, are going to be gone, and and the new bands that are coming up, and the new music that's been unheard, you know, like the Bratlows and like the Super Super Suckers and and all those bands and the newer stuff, like you said, the Greta Van Fleets and the Rival Sons, are they going to be able to get to that level over the next decade where they can play? Well, they're not going to get to the level of this classic rock. You know, mega bands because that you know that that ship has already sailed. However, on the upside, you know, and um, I mean, there's there's a lot of underground rock bands that are pretty damn good right now, and they're not, you know, they're not, and and, it, and they want to rock and roll. I mean, um, last Friday I saw this band Worshipper who were on TV Records who put out our first album um, great band from Boston very kind of Tim Lizzy and also sort of like classic metal but also totally like you know very um, they kind of remind me of Uncle Acid again Tim Lizzy a little maiden and you know there's a lot of like it's funny I, 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 sometimes I'm a little amused when I see like these young bands the kids in their 30s and are like totally like decked out in what they think is like metal clothing and some of those bands are a little cozy and 
you know, they get some of their things wrong, but with, with, it, it counts. I mean, it's like the Greta Van Fleet argument. Like, I, I, I have plenty of things I could nitpick that thing about. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not going to, like, listen to them over any classic hard rock band of the 70s. However, they're kids in their early 20s playing loud, bluesy with rock. And, you know, I think we should all be happy about that. I agree. Like, I think the whole, I think the, the, the tendency... A lot of older rock guys, uh, you know, to be like, them. it's like, what do you want? These kids are celebrating the same things that we celebrate. And again, I'm not telling anyone to go, like, buy their record. And, you know, again, I can nitpick them, but it's like, it, the kids, they're playing Cream and Zeppelin riffs. Like, <laughs> you know, what's... What's wrong with that? And, um, you know, there is a tendency strain in hard rock culture. Um, and, you know, punk, punk rock culture too. You know, that's about like, oh, well, well you know, it's, it's okay to do this or do that, which is, is part of what gives those genres their strength. But yeah, man, it's not like that many people. You know, we need all the help we can get. So, the credit and fleet's part of it. That's just how it's going to have to be. Well, I've said that. And I have a 14-year-old son who wears a Greta Van Fleet shirt to school. You know, he's totally into yeah. it. And he likes, yeah. you know, he likes the Rival Sons, and he likes the Struts, and he, right. likes, he likes all these new bands that are coming out. I mean, he's, you know, he loves Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown, all this right, stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's awesome that he does that. and. I constantly hear what you hear. I constantly hear people trying to tear these bands down, and it's like, what are you, right. what are you doing? Like, this is not, right. this is not for you. You know, this is, right. this is for the younger generation to enjoy, just like what the music we had. Our parents didn't like our music, and they weren't supposed to like our music. I, I well, like, I, I mean, like my son's music, but <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Um, but no, I don't know how you know. It's like I, that's a very like conversation. I don't know how like you know. I don't want to sound like too much of a kid, <laughs> but it's like that's a, you know, like in one sense, it's like yeah, you should hate your child's music and he should hate yours. And then on the flip side, it's like, dude, if they like, I mean, as long as there's loud guitars involved, I, I think that's part of my tribe, right? And I'm okay with whatever iteration, you know, like. If you got loud guitars, you're, you're one of my people. And I don't care if you're like a riot girl band or some like 20 year old dudes in headbands playing recycled Zeppelin riffs or you're a thrash band, like a hipster thrash band, you know, like let's all get on the same page. <laughs> you know, this I, is our music. I agree 100%. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, would yeah. you rather have them listen to the Katy Perry's and you know, the Taylor Swifts and the Justin Bieber's, or would you rather have them listen to blues based rock that jams? Right. You know, I, exactly. I mean, you know, and, and I also, and I've, and I've talked about this before in a few other episodes about how we live in the era of the critic. Everybody's a critic. And, yes. and everybody, and critics. what's that? 
and they're not even good critics. Right. You know, there, there's guys that just go on YouTube and have a channel and just tear apart music because they want they want people to click on it. And it's not sure. even it's not even genuine, right? It's not even it's it's a very spiteful way of doing it. It's like they're doing it for themselves instead of for the genre of music. You know, I mean, right. they're doing it. They're doing it for clicks, right? And when I see people, you know, just tear apart, you know, Greta Van Fleet, or, or, you know, just to just to see how it's like a competition between critics of how what, what's the worst thing they could say about the band, right? Well, you said that I'm going to say this, and it's just like, come on, guys. Right. I mean, you were losing sight of what we want. We want rock music to have a resurgence. We want rock music to be. You know, and to be relevant, right? To be relevant yeah. and have a seat at the table again. You know, Dee Snyder yeah. brought up the fact that there were no rock bands in the Super Bowl a few weeks ago, and I right. agree with him. I agree with him one hundred percent. There yeah. should be a rock band at the Super Bowl, but when you're Pepsi and you're sponsoring the halftime show, and rock music does not bring in the revenue, and Orton has the rev, you know, the, the the relevancy that they once had. It's not Pepsi's fault. I mean, Pepsi's got to do what's best yeah, for the business. Yeah, I, I have know? a problem with, you know, it's like, who cares? Like, it's like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. Like, I, I have no problem with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame sucking and not understanding why Deep Purple and MC. Like, this is rebel music, man. Like, we don't, like, we should not, we should not preen for the, acceptance of the music industry. The music industry has always hated rebellious music. It's always hated rock and roll. It's always hated hip hop. Like, you know, it's like, I, you know, again, I'm a New Yorker. Like, I'm a, I love, you know, hip hop is very personal to me. It's like, don't ever like, why should we, you know, we, it's like, it's like, it's like the dog waiting for the master to pat him on the head. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. We, we, we should take their disdain as, as a compliment. And so it's like the Super Bowl, who cares if we're not like, like I don't respect the NFL. Why should I care if they like want to book, you know, a rock and roll band at the Super Bowl. And like, you know, I don't respect the recording industry. You know, it's always exploited artists. So why should I like care if like they're, you know, I, I, I I remember once hearing that, like, uh, after Mick Jagger was given, what is it, the OBE? It's like the, the, the medal from the Queen. And someone, like, he, like, goes, like, in the 80s, right? Like, the Beatles got their OBEs in the 60s, but the Rolling Stones had to wait until the 80s. And after he got it, he was, like, getting on a plane, and someone was like, Mick, what do you think about your OBE? And he just said, empty baubles. <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, man. That's not so. Well, rock and I'm roll. Okay with rock and roll has never been critic for the critics. You know, rock, right. hard rock has always been the middle finger. You know, it's always right. been as the, it should be. Is yeah. I mean, I still remember. Yeah. You know, speaking to D. Schneider, I still remember getting "You Can't Stop Rock and Roll." You know, and I still <laughs> remember seeing that video of those guys in New York in their jeans in their jean jacket. This is before the stay hungry, you know, era with the outfits right. and whatnot. And I just remember having that feeling of like, those guys are badass. Those guys are like, right. you know, like, like they're, they're, they're rebellion. They're, they're, they're rebellious. Yeah. And that's part of the attraction. 
That you know when right. something you know it's when, rebel music. When someone tells me that music's bad and it's not good for you and you shouldn't listen to it, I want to listen to it more. Right. And yeah. it's like maybe rock and roll needs to be forgotten for a minute. Maybe it needs to be like disregarded. And maybe then it'll get a little more violence. <laughs> you know, like yeah. being ignored's not always a bad thing. <laughs> you know, right. it's, 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 certainly, it's certainly for art. You know, like I mean, you look at you look at the late seventies and the early eighties. Rock and roll was forgotten at that period. You had the disco era. You know, you had bands right. like you know Sabbath and Zeppelin kind of on their back nine, and they're and they, they they you know obviously John Bonham passed away, and that was the end of Zeppelin. But even you know the early you know late seventies, early eighties of Black Sabbath, you know with Ozzy was was on the decline. So there wasn't a really yeah. a lot of rock in the early '80s. That rock music was really underground. You know, you talk, yeah. you, you know, you look at all those bands coming over from from the UK, the new wave of British metal, and you had bands like Y and T, and you had you know all that stuff. The only the only real band of significance that I can think of, it's only two bands, were ACDC and Van Halen. You know, that that were yeah. late '70s, early '80s. Everything else was kind of arena rock. And there was the you know the Christopher Cross era of the singer songwriter and you know the, the 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 elevator type music, so it was forgotten for a period of time. Yeah, and stuff like metal was despised by the industry as a whole. Right. You know, it was like it was it was it was you know white trash music. So, and, and, and when we think of the early '80s, we think of that as like the peak of metal. <laughs> so it's like. You know, I think rock and roll fans need to be a little less precious, and they need to be a little more open-minded. I agree. I agree. So what, you know, I know you mentioned you got some material, you know, that you've developed. What can we expect from the Brat Low in 2020? In 2020? Yeah. Well, hopefully we're going to play some shows, and we're going to record some music. It's, uh... You know, it's 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 like when the guys get ready for the uh, Super Bowl, they say we're just trying to get some points on the board. <laughs> you know, like I don't want to put on, I don't want to overpromise. I don't, you know, I'm 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 part Irish, so I'm a little superstitious. So gotcha. gotcha. I don't want to jinx anything, but you know, I feel like to get some new music together and get it out. Um, and again, because of the way the industry's changed, um, I mean, we're still. As of this moment, you know, a small stone records fan, and, and again, Scott's my boy, and I love him. But it's like, you know, it's I don't know. Do people even buy records anymore? I mean, like, are we better off just posting new music to SoundCloud? Are we better off posting it to Instagram? Um, but whatever it is, you know, I, I, for me, it's like I write. You'll excuse me if you're banging and clanging because I'm getting my dinner ready for my family. But, uh, you know, for me, it's like you write songs and you write riffs and, and there's a, a desire where you just want to get them out. You know, you just, like, they're in you and you got to get them out and finish with the band and finish written and then recorded and out to the people. And hopefully I'm... Hopefully we'll do that in this next year. We got, we got a, you know, I got, I got drawers full of riffs. So hopefully I can share them with the world. 
Well, we hope so. I still like the physical copy of music. I still buy albums. I you yeah, know, I, I still I still do. You know, I like that connection. I like that physical connection. So, yeah. Um, what about what about getting out and touring? Are you guys going to stay you know regional like in the in the you know up in the East Coast? Are you going to migrate to the Midwest at all or down the coast? Never say never, but um, you know, I, I think I think we probably wouldn't do anything outside of the East Coast until we had another record out or another release um, to kind of build a, 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 some degree of momentum from. But, um, you know, uh, five years ago, we were still playing the Midwest with, you know, some degree of regularity. And we actually got offered a show out in Columbus, Ohio this summer, um, which unfortunately we weren't able to do. So it's not, you know, it's not, it's not an impossible, an impossibility that uh, we'll be getting out there sometime in the next year or so. Well, I'll keep my fingers crossed. Last question to you. Yeah, man. Last question okay. to you. Um, as we like to always showcase bands that are new or unheard of or, you know, independent, tell us a band that we should be listening to. Uh, I think you should be listening to Worshipper from Boston. Worshipper from uh, Boston. TP Records. Uh, and again, I saw them on Friday. They're great guys. I know some of them previous bands they've been in, um, and I think they're pretty—they're pretty well on their way um, over there uh, or up up there in Boston. But uh, yeah, I mean, their new record's great and uh, great players, great songs. Highly recommend them. Awesome! I will definitely check them out. I appreciate it. Right on, Jay. Well. Thanks again, Ben. Uh, I appreciate you doing the show. Uh, always, always uh, uh, a pleasure to discuss rock music with a fellow rock fan such as yourself and to give exposure to a great band like you guys. I hope people who are listening will check out The Brat Low. Great stuff, great music. If you like The Stones, if you like ACDC, if you like MC5, if you like Social Distortion, if you like punk rock, you're going to like these guys. Great stuff. Thanks you. Thank you again, Ben. Thanks, Jane. Uh, again, I, I I appreciate it greatly, and um, you know, it, it it it's a great pleasure that it's like twenty years almost from when we well, literally twenty years this year of when we formed and got to together. We're still there's still people who are interested in us and want to listen to us, want to just play and talk to us. You know, despite the fact that it's like. We're not on tour. We haven't put out a record in nine years. Um, so, you know, thank you and thank everyone from the hook for, you know, supporting real rock and roll. I have to tell you, you know, real quick before we go, I had my, my fingers crossed when I sent out the invitation to do the podcast because I love your stuff. I've loved your albums for a while. And I was so stoked when you responded that you were going to do the show. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Likewise. Well, hey, everybody, this is Jay Scott, and you are listening to The Hook. We'll talk again soon. Thank you very much.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 